What a moment. What a moment for Taylor Davis. First major league home run. It's another show and go with Taylor Davis. Today, Valentine's Day. Wow, how'd you get away with this? Day before Valentine's Day, instead of perusing open table and looking for the nicest Italian establishment in the Louisville metropolitan area, you're here talking with me? Why are you doing that? Just because I love you, Jack. That's how much I love baby. No, what did my wife, my wife is is probably doing a bath with the babies, um, probably cussing my name under her breath. Yeah. Uh, no, we're good. I, I'll give you my, uh, I'll give you my, um, like low key shout out for no reason. Um, it's a restaurant called Luvino. L-O-U- I love Luvino. Yep. V-I-N-O. Sneaky, just like really, really cool atmosphere. I mean, the whole thing, the whole thing does it for me. So like if I take my wife on a date, that's my, that's always my vote. So their locations are Louisville, and Indianapolis. They have two in Indy. They've got one downtown and then they have one in the northern burbs, but then it's Louisville, you know, it's Louisville yeah. based. Um, great spot, great Italian spot. And the wine list is always elite. The flight setup there, I'm a sucker for a wine flight or a beer flight. So is my girlfriend. So, like, you go find a good wine flight, you're in for a great evening. Yeah. And it's wine flight and tapas. So, like, Easy. dude, yeah. And like, Man, what a good date spot. Like if you were if you were like taking a chick out on a first date, like you can make the meal last as long or as short as you want with the with the small plates. Yep. Yep. An and you just spot. keep going and it's like, you know what? Check, please. Yeah. 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 Fangraphs has that one rated very highly on uh if we're talking about uh location weighted values. Uh it's like it's probably a 140, 145. Yeah, I mean, it, it's up there. It's definitely up there. I think you're making a stop there, uh, you know, probably a little bit before you head to Olive Garden. But, uh, you know, it's what it is. It's what it is. Um, catcher wants to talk catching market. Boring. Yeah, I want to talk about the catchers. Boring. Uh, yes, Monty Grandal signed a one-year, $2.5 million deal with the Pirates after they may have whipped on Gary Sanchez and Gary went to a fellow division rival, which was kind of interesting. We also really want to hit on why like the big four remaining have not been signed and and what the hell could be going on in the Boris Corporation right now. But um, let's start with Grendel and let's start with the trickle down there. Because last week we talked a lot about Adley Rutschman and the burden that he faces when it comes to signing an extension, not signing an extension, and setting a new record when it comes to catcher deals. Um you know, like Will Smith, we've had that conversation too about with, with with this free agent market, it has really been an assortment of one-year deals at varying price points. Where do you feel like the catching market is at right now? Well, I, I have to think, you know, like, I'm not sure I could name you an everyday regular that's left. I don't think there is. Mm-mm. I'm not sure you're really even going to find somebody that's going to truly platoon. Um, you know, I, I think the I, to me, the trickle down really started with uh, you and you mentioned his name it was with Gary Sanchez. I think if you go look, all the reports were pirates on Gary Sanchez, pirates on Gary Sanchez. They didn't get him. And, and how quickly did that turn into Yasmani Grandal for a third of the price? So in, in you know, 
Um, we can get into this. I, I, you know, and you started this with it was odd. I, I don't understand yes, or I don't understand um, Gary Sanchez to Milwaukee for that much money for Milwaukee. Gary Sanchez, do what you want to do. I think that's a decent spot for him. But I don't see Milwaukee using him as a flip candidate. I yeah. think Milwaukee's going to end up trying to compete. Um, and you have – you could make the argument that going into 2024, William Contreras is the highest-rated catcher in baseball. So, like, I'm not sure what he does to your team um, – that you felt like you needed to give him three times more than Yasmani Grandal. Especially when Grandal was already there. He was right. in Milwaukee and he was successful in Milwaukee before he signed that deal in Chicago. Now, I, I get it from the concerns about Grandal, the player and the clubhouse presence. And those were very well documented in Chicago, like very well. And he was one of the main guys that was butting heads with Tim Anderson and choose a hero, choose a villain in that chances are like there's no concrete hero in the 2023 right. White Sox season. Um, so clearly he was a, a sore spot. Maybe they wanted to stay away from that. As of right now, Sanchez is not even the DH. Like you assume Christian Yelich is going to DH with the outfield surplus they have with a Chorio, with a Freelick, with a Garrett Mitchell, with a Weimer. So you just paid, what, $6 million, $7 million for a backup catcher when – if the Pirates did pony up and pay Gary Sanchez, you could be looking at a starting role for him. But I, I was just kind of looking at the the guys that hit the open market as catchers this year. Mitch Garver signed a two-year deal as a DH, effectively, yeah, with Seattle. Yeah. yeah, like that's a DH. Caratini signed a two-year deal with Houston to be a backup behind yep. Yaner Diaz. Tom Murphy signed a two-year deal with San Fran to be a backup to Pat Bailey. And then you've got nothing but one-year deals. Sanchez, Austin wins, Austin Hedges, Eric Haas, uh, Grandal, Kisner, Martin Maldonado, Stallings. And then you have a bunch of minor league deals, man. Austin Nola, Sandy Leon, Tucker Barnhart, Alfaro, Roberto Perez. Like, there was no multi-year starting catcher here. Well, there was, in, in my mind, uh, I don't, of that group you just listed, like, I'm not giving anybody multiple years in that group. So... It was a very weak market. And, you know, like I think in general, the the free agent class was extremely top heavy, right? Like yes. you had arguably the greatest player of all time, followed by a couple really good players. Um, and then after that, it's been like, OK, like where can I make my team slightly better outside of a, outside of a, a Jordan Montgomery or a Cody Bellinger that we're going to get into? Um, so, yeah, I think it was a weak class. I, I find that an interesting move for um and we, we, we talked about this a little bit, but Pittsburgh going with Yasmani to me was, was an interesting play because in my mind, if I'm the Pirates, I, I think that the, the choice has been made that it's Indy. Like Indy is going to be the catcher, right? Like yes. we're going to let him catch every day. But Henry has done it enough that why not give him one year to try it? You know, like – I think the the Cubs were willing to do that with Schwarber, right? Like, why not do that? And then just and then just save what a million and a quarter? Like, I don't know. So I I just while you were talking, I pulled up the catchers on the market for next free agent cycle. So okay. the guys that are going to be free agents ahead of the twenty twenty five season. JT. 
Um, no, not Real Muto. I think Real Muto has a club option. JT Real Muto, spot track. Uh, five for 115 has him up after the 2025 season. So he's got two more years of control. So going into the 2025 season, your options are 34-year-old James McCann. No, one-year deal. 35-year-old Travis Darno, going to be 36 by the time the season starts. No. 33-year-old Omar Narvaez, probably not. 37-year-old Jan Gomes. 34-year-old Max Stassi. 30-year-old Danny Jansen, 29-and-a-half-year-old Danny Jansen. He's a multi-year deal for a catcher. But after that, man, like Elias Diaz, who's going to be 34, Austin Hedges, Luke Maley, Austin Barnes, Grandall again, Carson Kelly, Kyle Higashioka. It's not a good crop. I, I you know, the only, the 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 two, th- the two guys I want to point out there, uh, Narvaez, I think Narvaez has a good year this year. I could see Narvaez getting a multi-year deal. Mm-hmm. Um, he's done it before. Based off of one really good year, I don't know why somebody <clears throat> in a weak class wouldn't say, hey, we'll, we'll give you two years, three years, because you're what's left. Yeah. Uh, the other guy is Danny Jansen. And, like, let's let's jump into him a little bit because, you know, I think for for most of, you know, last offseason, right, there was the catching surplus in Toronto. They got rid of Moreno. Jansen, I don't know. Like, how much is Jansen going to catch He's not going to catch that much, right? Like, Kirk's going to catch every day. So, Jansen last year caught 73 games. I don't even... I do. You, does that number increase or decrease? Probably stays the same. I bet it holds serve. I see Kirk having a bigger year. I think that was a... I think that was a... I think the that year was more of a fluke for Kirk than the really good year. So, I'm going to say that Kirk bounces back and he catches and plays more. So my question to you, Danny Jansen is a guy that since twenty the start of 2021 has played 70 games, 72 games, 86 games. Now, in that stretch, he's OPSing over 800, if I have the math right. Yeah, 237 with an 805 OPS, 228 games, he's got 43 pumps. Okay. So, like, this guy has been good when he's on the field. Problem is, no doubt, he just hasn't been on the field. At what age, at what point? Because he would be entering his age 30 season. At what point do you like give up on the dream that he's a good everyday catcher and he can expand that 800 OPS over 135 games? But what what are can you can you see if you can't quickly, can you see the injuries quickly? Um for Jansen? Yeah. I'll pull him while you make your next point. Yeah, like we'll, I, yeah. I want to hear the injuries before we start talking about that. And I don't disagree with that. I think, you know, the conversation was being had with Rutschman before he got to the big leagues was, hey, is Rutschman going to catch three days a week and play first three days a week? What are we thinking? Because we don't want to break him down already. Um, I just, if you have a guy that can catch, as we just found out between last this year's uh, free agent class and next year's free agent class. If you got a guy that can catch, you have to take a chance that he's gonna he's gonna stay on the field, and you have to assume that he's gonna stay on the field. Yeah. So Danny Jansen, I'm I'm just reading here. He had surgery to insert a pin into his fractured right middle finger in September. That's that's what he missed. Um, so he was dealing with a, a broken finger in September. Um. It looks like 
He was dealing with an oblique thing as well. Yeah, like my thinking is like if you go look at his injuries, like I don't think it's because he's catching. Right. And like, I, I don't, I don't hate the argument because I think we had this argument with DL Hall. I'm a believer that DL Hall should be a, should be a reliever. He should be a full-time reliever. I think he'd be one of the best in baseball. The, the issue there is kind of the same thing as Danny Jansen and catching in that at what point is it okay for you to say, Hey man, like this guy's not going to be a starter. He's yeah. going to be a really good reliever. Okay. I got him here. Um, hamstring in June of 2021. Aggravated the hamstring in July of 21. Oblique in April of 22. Fifth metacarpal. That's a hand issue, yep. right? Yep. In June of 22. Right okay. Groin strain in May of 23. Then fractured finger in September of 23. Yeah, like to me, that's just a guy that's like, he's going to get hurt whether he's whether he's playing right bench and DHing or he's going to or he's catching. Like I don't. Now you know. The groin and some of the hamstrings could be aggravated and could be made worse by catching, but yeah, I think he's a good enough defensive player that he's not harming you back there. I'm going to give him a chance to catch somewhere. The only th- the only reason I'll say I'm not is, and this is kind of why I started with the name was, if he's not catching in Toronto, then why? Like, are you going to look at that and go, hmm? It's odd that he's not catching. It's odd that Kirk's catching. I don't think so because it's so situational and Kirk is a way better hitter than Danny Jansen. You're not paying Danny Jansen to hit like Kirk. But are you going to, but if, if that's the case and Jansen's a better receiver or a better catcher, then why not DH Kirk? He would, in theory, he's gonna, he's gonna, you know, if, if Jansen's a better defensive catcher, then why is he not catching more and Kirk not? Yeah, I hear what you're saying. Um, now, they did sign Justin Turner to likely be the DH, but like they went what, and what third? No, um, Aspinall, they, Aspinall, Kevin Biggio, if he's still on the roster, Isaiah Kinder Falefa, like, oh yeah, what? those so are they all. Got, they got a little bit of an influx, huh? They got like a. They, they do. They, they might have too many infielders um, and they could make a move. But my thing, I don't know, like in a vacuum, I view Justin Turner as a way better DH option than Danny Jansen. And hey, even last year when they signed Brandon Belt to that one year deal, I viewed Belt as a way better DH option than Danny Jansen. Um, I just, it's tough. Like even him, it's kind of a hard sell. And he may get a three-year deal because he's going to be entering his age 30 season. But how much is that three-year deal? Because you only have 70 games a year to work on. Could it be three years? Does he get a Christian Vasquez deal? I could see it where he's making about 10 AAV, 11. What did Christian Vasquez, like two for 20? I I think it was like two for 21. I think it was a 10 and a half. Like that, I, I could see that deal. Maybe even, I could even see like a three at 24. Yeah. For him and and Narvaez, like I think you're looking at a similar conversation if Narvaez has a good year. Okay. Now, will you agree with the statement that I make here if I were to tell you that catching in five years will be more than twice as good as it is now because of what? the top 100 prospects that you've got, you know, making their way up and and the guys that are on the ascension. So like. You may view Francisco Alvarez and Gabby Moreno as fringe top 10 catchers in the game. In five years, those guys, if they pan out, are 
top five catchers in the game with Adley Rutschman, with Will Smith at that point. But then you also have guys like a Harry Ford in Seattle and a Jefferson Caro in Milwaukee. The catching position is getting sexy again. I feel like we might be at almost a low point in, in recent memory when it comes to catching talent. I think that in the next five years, catching is going to get worse because mm. I think the system's coming in. I think I think we are within five years. Now, I hope not, but I think we're within five years of the automated strike zone. So my argument, and it's my I've stated this to teams. It's close, right? Like we're doing it at a lot of AAA stadiums. We're doing it in multiple professional leagues. At what point are you going to stop teaching your catchers to receive? And you are you going to start valuing the other aspects of catching? Because at some point in my mind, in the next five years, you are going to stop looking at catchers to draft unless they are Adley Rutschman. Other than that, you're going to be looking at the best shortstop that's going to hit and rake and go to go stand back there and make it 144 games. I think you're going to put the best bat back there. Now, the question just so the biggest question that's going to happen is when the ABS comes in, you're looking at uh, the question being. <laughs> Sorry, my kid was freaking out. Sorry. Yeah, okay, yeah. here. The question being. Are you gonna are you gonna value throwing or blocking higher? So I what you've got to do in my mind is you've got to take one of those two and say, this is what I'm believing. I'm believing that if I can get the best thrower, that that's all that I'm worried about. He's gonna let a couple balls go by him. I have to be okay with that. Or vice versa. Get the guy that, hey, this guy is never gonna let anything get back behind him, but the arm's not there. So we gotta figure it out. I think that's where the position's going. And and what do you think the right answer is if you were to prioritize one? Based on the way the game is trending, I'm not asking for like, hey, your personal yeah. opinion, because I know no, you choose No, no, I mean, I, I do think it's my personal opinion, though. I think it's throwing. I think throwing is, is... – blocking is important in a sense of – like, obviously, you don't want the guy to gain an extra 90 feet. But let me give you this thought. Blocking is something that should have never occurred, right? Like – I wasn't asking you to throw that ball there. Yeah. That's a mistake by somebody else that I'm trying to fix. Yeah. I would rather you be good at what you can control, which is throwing. So if I can control throwing and I mean, we all see where the, the stolen base stuff is going to begin with, right? It's crazy, crazy, crazy. Um, And then the next, the last part of that being, I'm also going to be a part of the group that believes that I can teach you to block easier than I can teach you to throw with no arm. Right. So I think I can turn you from a horrible blocker to a bad blocker. I don't necessarily think I can turn you from a horrible thrower to a good thrower. I know I said horrible to bad and then horrible to good, but (laughs) so I cheated for my own sake. What do you think? That's fine. Yeah, I, I'm totally with you. I was thinking maybe you were going to choose blocking because I know that's something that you really pride yourself on. It's like, hey, you were kind of the king of of the bailout, right? You were you were the king of being the good teammate as a yeah, catcher, yeah, yeah. right? Yeah. Where I'm going to steal my pitcher strikes. I'm going to make sure their def- or their their mistakes don't bite them in the ass. Yep. 
But my initial thought was pickoff restrictions have changed the game moving forward. And we are, we're past the point where you need to worry about blocking more so than, Hey, this guy's going to swipe 50 bags this year, cut him down to 40. I mean, even, even when, when the receiving became the main aspect, when we started training, basically, you know, I didn't, I probably 2015, 2016, I don't want to say we stopped like trying to learn how to block and how to throw, but 90% of our work was receiving because they had valued that as the highest thing that could possibly happen. The second next highest thing was throwing because the expected values when blocking pitches just weren't that high for a lot of reasons. But like one of them, I could have the perfect block and that guy could get a good jump and it wouldn't matter. So that's then in turn, that's not a, that's not a successful block. That's then a bad block that just, or a good block that didn't work. Um, So in saying that, I think that we devalued blocking the most prior to this. Okay. So in my mind, that has to, like, that can't change. Um, I'm sure it will, but you know, I, I, but, and once again, this is all relative to the best bat. I want the best bat back there that can catch the baseball. I don't need you to do anything else. And we've talked about this with Gary Sanchez. It's a great guy to talk about during this. Like, I really wish when he was in New York, they would have looked at Gary Sanchez and said, Gary, I don't care what you do. I want you to throw the ball 95 miles an hour to second base like you can. Mm -hmm. I want you to hit 40 pumps. And I want you to catch the ball. I don't want you to do anything else. If he what because if he was just the worst receiver in baseball, he's not kicked out of New York. He's extended in New York, right? Like he was hated in New York because the balls went by him. Who's who's the worst receiver in baseball? Sal Perez, right? Like Sal yeah. grades out metrically as one of the worst receivers in baseball. Okay, guess what? They're going to build him a fucking statue in Kansas City when it's all said and done. 100%. 100%. And, and you can get around that, right? Sal won a freaking gold glove. So y- you can get around it. Um, you know, I, I that's that's where I think we're going to go with the game. So, like, that's the question just becomes when does that start, right? I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. I can't tell you, but I think it's coming. I think it comes. I don't think the – now, this is, I guess, just like – and over our rules question, do you think full ABS ever comes? Or yeah, do you think, I, I think but, challenge system comes. I don't think full ABS ever comes to baseball. Major League baseball. I don't, I don't want it to. Yeah, I do. I think it comes. Hmm. I think we get the full ABS. I think. So on a hitter's standpoint, it makes sense because so much of our training now consists of, you know, we are, our training is so specific for those who have never seen a, a professional uh, workout or a um, professional hit um, or guys work out at, you know, in groups, these guys are down in Cressy in Florida and um, other places. It's incredible, right? The training and the way that we train is crazy. It's so intricate. You can't really train decision-making perfectly yeah. because you don't have a zone, Right. There is a strike zone, sure, but it's, it's going to change on a daily basis. Yeah. Right. Joe West and Angel Hernandez are not calling the same pitch as strikes. Yeah. And, and go back, take this back like 
take this back a ways. Let's go back to when there was a bubble, when the when the umpires were wearing the bubble, right? When the first umpires stopped wearing the bubble, I believe the National League went under the went chest protector before mm-hmm. the American League. So there was at least a year where one league had the bubble, one league didn't. And the strike zones, when looked at, were significantly different. So the American League was getting the ball up way more. The National League was getting the ball down way more. So I think that's one reason. I think from a hitter's standpoint, what are we trying to do clearly in this game is increase offense. How do you increase offense better than telling hitters exactly where the ball has to be thrown? No questions asked. This is where the ball has to be thrown. The other reason, and this is like a Illuminati reason for me, but yeah, gambling, man. Like I just, I just think that I think that for these 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 bookies and these, uh, you know, the casinos and all that, like, would you not want to take the human element out of it as much as you can? You would want to. Um, that is a little too Illuminati for me. What I will say is, yes, you're increasing offense by telling hitters exactly where the ball needs to be thrown, but you're also increasing offense in that sense by, in turn, allowing hitters on base more via the walk. Because what happens? Like, And does Major League Baseball actually want that? Like, Do they want an increase in walks? I don't think they do. I don't – well, here, go look Go look at – can you find the, the year-by-year walk differences in, in sure. one of the – Yeah. Find one of the leagues, like one of the, uh, or like even just one of the teams, like Charlotte. You know what I mean? Um, see one of the teams and see if their walk stuff in- increased like wild. Major League batting year by year. Let's do this. Um, I'm going to do Major League pitching year it's by gonna, year. It's going to have to be minor league pitching because. Oh, yeah. Triple um, A baseball stats by year. Let's go to the iPad. Minor league stats in history. Damn. Struggling to find it right now. It's okay. But well, while you're looking, we'll just talk. But my my thinking there just being that I, I think it's been a long time coming. I think it makes the most sense for our game. You know, it's gonna make evaluating hitters and pitchers easier. So I I think there's a lot of benefits to it outside of it takes away the the true human element of it. Yeah. Um all right, I will circle back and and I'll find these these team yeah. members by year. But I'm curious why you think the the big four remaining are yeah. unsigned, the Boris, and it's Cody Bellinger, Matt Chapman, Blake Snell. Who am I missing? Jordan Montgomery. Montgomery. Is that a year including in the big four? I think so. Yeah. I mean, he's the big four that's left. I don't. I... He's not Boris though. Dude, Jordan, are you sure? I don't think he's Boris. Um, I, he confuses me. Is he Boris? Uh, he is Boris. Boris Ford. Um, I, he, he confuses me, man. I just don't, I don't know that I could pay him. Like, like I, I'm going to, I think he's going to get paid. I, what, I mean, what's the career for him? What are we looking at? So Jordan Montgomery over the course of his career is at a three, six, eight ERA. He has never finished with better than a 3-2 ERA. Now, granted, he just threw 189 innings on the heels of 178 and 22. But this guy is punching out 8.5 per nine. He's walking 2.5 per nine. 
and he's got a three six eight career ERA. The, so the he's thing, yeah. So he's a poor man, James Shields. He's a James Shields that doesn't eat innings. Uh relatively speaking, he is eating innings. Relatively, but James Shields was throwing two ten a year. But, I know, but but that was like the workhorse at that iteration okay, of baseball. Okay, this okay. iteration, like there are four guys a year that are getting to 200 innings. Okay, okay. So if we're giving him that, then that's fine, especially because he was pretty gosh dang good in the playoffs. And you want to call him big game James, we can go with, we can go call him, you know. Um, okay, I'm okay, but you're going to, he's going to be a, what? A, a three on a, on a contender? So that's the thing that is kind of getting to me. Um, he's going to be paid like a one or a two when he's a three on the best team. You think he's going to get paid as a one? He's going to get paid that good? Dude. Like 25 a year? He might. Like, do you, do you, do you think, and I, I know it's realistic. So like, I'm not saying that, but do you, do you really think five at 125 is what he's looking for? Yeah. A hundred percent. I bet he's looking for more. I think Jordan Montgomery set out in January and said, I want $150 million. And there were teams that were willing to meet that price. There were. I bet. So why are, why didn't he sign? I, why is Snell not signed? Why is Bellinger not signed? You know what I mean? So, so Snell and Bellinger to me are, are different classes in a sense of both of those guys are going to get 200 plus. Um, but does I, either deserve it? Yes, Blake Snell. I I think it is it is outrageous that we are talking about Blake Snell the way we're talking about Blake Snell. That dude won. If he would have won just one of the Cy Youngs, this dude has won two Cy Youngs. Check how many guys have more than three Cy Youngs. Four. I don't believe there's four people that have more than three. Well, he only has two, but I think there's only three. So Clemens has seven. Yep. Randy Johnson has five. Maddox and Carlton have four. Verlander, Scherzer, Kershaw, Pedro, Jim Palmer, Tom Seaver, Sandy Koufax have three. He's a top 15 pitcher in the history of the game on that award alone. Okay. Okay. So, yeah, but like, is Corey Kluber in there too? Like, he's got two. Um, if Corey Kluber was 28, how old is Snell? 29? 28? 29. Okay. If Corey Kluber was 29, yes. Dude, we, we can't do that. Snell has a career 3 2 in 992 innings. He's got those two Cy Youngs, but in between that, a 4-2-9, throw 20-20 out, a 4-2 in 2021, and a 3-4 in 2022. I'm not actually saying he's one of the top 15 best pitchers in no, baseball. No, 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 no. But what I am saying is that I do think even with the four twos, I he's been the best pitcher in baseball for two separate seasons before he turned 30 years old. I don't see how you can't treat him as such. He's 31 now, by the way. So through his age 30, 30 season. Okay. So through his 30. But like, I, I, 
the the Snell one. So because of that, I think he's relatively holding out. I think some guys are willing to pay him, and I know. Look, I know the walks are the big thing, right? Like he walks the world. He's gotten away with it. He's figured out how to deal with it. Like even in theory, even a let's just say he signs a um. I mean, what would be what is I mean is is six is six at two hundred out like crazy for him? Would that be wild? So like I think it is seven six, at ten. Six like, at one eighty is thirty a year. I know. I, okay, let's just say he gets six at two hundred, and he gives you his first four years are or his first five years are Cy Young. Four two four two three four Cy Young. Are you upset with that contract? No. He could not pitch in year six, and you're good with it. No, but you just talked about his twenties. That's the thing. What does, what else? Can how I does talk that about? age? How does that and profile age? How does it age? It aged like he his his profile his his um platform season. He won the Cy Young. At 30, but like, what is a 34 year old Blake Snell pitch like? What is a 35 year old Blake Snell pitch like? I, I That's get it. the question that everybody is terrified to find out at $30 million that year. I think even the Padres were terrified to find out what Blake Snell was going to look like after the 4 2, right? Like, yes. And, but that's kind of where I'm going is like, I think you've already had that scare. Like, hey, what in the world is this guy? This guy went, there were talks of him not even starting at one point, right? Like, I just I like I said, and maybe it's because like I'm an awards guy. I, I just I think that's important when when it comes to how we pay players, how players are perceived. Because you know I talk a lot about what we can't control, what we can't control, yeah. and like that is an objective fact. That yeah. dude, and so like for that reason, I think that should be judged as highly as anything else. And, right, and, like, right. And dude, I totally hear you on that. And I I can t- absolutely respect it. And my big thing is like the Hall of Fame case. I am all about the awards. I'm mean, how many Cy Youngs, how many all-star games, like how many gold gloves, that kind of thing. When it comes to this guy, he is <laughs> it just feels like the craziest fever dream two-time Cy Young award winner. Because he hasn't been dominant in those middle years. He was best pitcher in baseball in 2018 was when he won his first Cy Young. Yeah, 2018, he won 21 games. He had a 1890 ERA. Best pitcher in baseball that year. This year, second best pitcher in baseball. Cole was better. But this guy was the second best pitcher in baseball. In the middle of that, like you're making a top 25 starting pitcher list going into the 2022 season. Hell, going into the 2023 season. Snell's not on that thing. No, no. Which, I, and which I, is and crazy I, to me. Like, so the peaks are so high. The valleys are so low. Does okay. that all average to 32 a year? What about, what about the start of Max Scherzer's career? Go to pre-contract Max Scherzer. And I want you to tell me if you would give that guy and tell me that guy's the best pitcher in baseball. So pre-contract Max Scherzer. He got paid entering his age 30 season from his debut with Arizona until he signed that big deal with Washington. Scherzer had a three, six ERA. He had nine and a half K's per nine, two and a half walks per nine. I just view him as so different 
than snow. It was different because it was vu- he was viewed as different. He was preached as different. Whether it be the scouts that saw him and and led the media, whatever it may be, the media behind the two, like take this. Let's go Illuminati again, right? The the media behind the two. When Scherzer was a free agent, it was like pushed that he was going to be the best pitcher in baseball. And don't get me wrong. I think he's been – everybody knows. Dude, he, is, he won back-to-back Cy Youngs after that deal. That's what I'm saying. He's been – he has for sure been one of the best pitchers in baseball. So, like, they were right. My argument being, why is it so pushed that Blake Snell is not going to be good when prior to the contract days, if you had two blind taste tests – I'm taking guy A, and that's Blake Snell. So what I will also say is Scherzer, for the four years before he signed that deal, was never walking more than three guys per nine. And he was logging 200 to 220 innings a year. Snell, like when you go by inning totals, I'm going to pull this up again. Because his two Cy Young years, he was at like 180 innings. Other than that, dude, like he's not pitching that much. 180 and two-thirds and 18. 107 innings in 2019. 21, 128. 128 in 2022. And then 180 again in 23. So the two times this guy has thrown more than 130 innings in a season, he's won the Cy Young Award. Okay, so what? There, there, there's even another factor. But he's done it twice. He's done yeah, it twice in eight years. Six years, right? Well, eight, eight, eight. eight seasons. Eight seasons. Because he hadn't been extended yet, right? Like this is... No, he had not been extended. Okay, okay, okay. Um, Scherzer before that. So Snell, let's look at last three years for Blake Snell before hitting the open market. Yep. 4-2 in 128 innings. 3-4 in 128 innings. 2-2 in 180. Scherzer, three years before extending. 3-7 in in 187 innings. A 2-9 in 214 and a 3-1 in 220. He's throwing a lot of innings. Okay, what about strikeouts? Where are we looking at strikeouts? Strikeouts, um, you want per nine or you want total? Sure. sure. Per nine, Scherzer, 11.1 and 2.9 walks per nine. 10.1, 2.4 walks per nine. 10.3, 2.6 walks per nine. Snell, 11.9, 4.8 walks per nine. 12, 3.6 walks per nine, 11.7, five walks per nine. Man, I'll just, I'll still go back to like, even if he's walking these guys, he's finding a way to prevent runs. And that's the most important thing. Now he did it this year, but like go to, go to John Lester. Okay. John Lester couldn't pick a guy off. No, I'm just thinking like, you don't have to, you can go to him, but I wouldn't get, but like he couldn't pick a guy off. And he had really, really good years early in Chicago, right? Like his first three years in Chicago were good. And the league knew he couldn't pick a guy off. So not only were guys running like crazy, they were scoring on doubles. You weren't turning double plays. But you're still giving John Lester all of that money, even if you know that. Yeah. Not I, They're different guys. I'm not saying that. Yeah, but, well, and the difference—the difference was Lester. He put up a four-eight in Boston, and then he put up a three-seven, then a two-four. But Lester, before he signed that deal, 
210, 203, 208, 192, 205, 213, 219. No, he's, dude, and, and like. That's the thing about Snell. You can't guarantee availability. No, it, but look, that's 90% of starting pitchers today. Yeah. So, um, John Lester, also the best big game pitcher I've ever seen. I mean, like that's, yes. that's like about as most much common sense statement that's probably ever been made, but watching him and Cole Hamels prep prep for big games, that's what freaking like my like fan in me, like was like fanboying. like, dude, I'm watching John Lester prep for like a <laughs> while. Wow, like this is, are you kidding me, man? Those two dudes are monsters mentally. Um, but I'm sure. So let's let's hit let's hit Chapman and, and Belly real quick. I mean, I think I think Bellinger's kind of doing a similar thing to uh Snell. I gotta assume that he's just waiting. It just scares me. I just don't know why. Uh like how long are you gonna wait? I think it's easier for for Dallas Keuchel to sit out for half a season than it is for Cody Bellinger. Because Cody Bellinger sits out through March, he's not playing until the end of May. Like, and he's facing Arizona leaguers when he starts hitting. So, uh, you know, those, those two surprise, it surprises me that Matt Chapman is a free agent more than anybody else. Yeah, because his, the total money that he'll get is probably going to be in the 120 range, I would assume. He's going to be affordable. He's an excellent defender. As far as we know, he's a good person. And he yeah. occasionally goes off with the bat, and he's always good. So, yes. like, what are you waiting for? There's plenty of teams that have needs. I don't know. Maybe he waits. Maybe he waits for the first four or five spring training games to be in the book. Like March one, you sign, because then you have the end of February that that you got going really. Because I think the spring training slate gets going in earnest, what, like February 25th, 26th? Am I right? And yeah. So, yeah, Friday, February 23rd is when people really get going. It's a leap year. Friday, March 1. I'd be stunned if these guys made it through the weekend and on Monday, March 4th, they were still unsigned. Snell and Montgomery, I could see it, but Bellinger and Chapman, okay. they got to get signed. That's what I'm I mean, I think so. I, I really do. I I I can't see a world where but then it also goes to this. Like, are they both signing with contenders? Could you see Bellinger doing the Bryant thing where he just takes a bag in Colorado? Like he if if the LA Angels offered Cody Bellinger two hundred and ten million dollars and nobody else was willing to give him over one seventy. Could you see him doing that? Yeah, I could see the Angels. Um, but in general, no. And I'll just say no because he was on that Dodgers team that won so much. Yeah. And I just think that if you were – now, you're going to take it one of two ways. You're either going to be on that Dodgers team and you're going to be like, look, we want to – but like, you know, it's good. Let me get my money, like you said. Or you're going to look at it you're going to be like – like Jock Peterson. Jock Peterson cannot stand to not be on a winner. Yeah. Like – that to me is from him being in in LA and being like, dude, this is the best. I want to win. But I don't know. But no, I I think um, if either of them are on a non contender, it's Chapman just because I do think he takes the money. Mm-hmm. You? 
I think he could take the money. I also think there are way too many teams that could view him as an upgrade at third base that are willing to compete in the next six years. And Chapman strikes me as a guy that's going to take six for, I don't know, one, 125, 130. I, 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 uh, I see like to me, it's Chapman and Montgomery to non-contenders. It's Snell and Bellinger to contenders. I could see that. I still think Jordan Montgomery is going to be a Red Sox. I stand by that. His his wife, I think girlfriend. No, I think wife. His wife just started a dermatology residency in Boston at Northeastern, I want to say. It's a four-year program. Like, just go sign a four-year deal at Boston. Insider info here. No, dude. Articles written about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just go do that. Go do it. Four for 160. Jesus, that's a lot. All right, amigo. Fun as always. And uh, we'll chat next week. Yeah. Do it. Every link you need is in the episode description. Um, and be sure to listen to any pod around the, uh, the Just Baseball Network. And we will talk to you guys soon.